Table Talk with Grace Redmond features conversations with fierce and fabulous people from Grace's community and circle who inspire others with their stories of overcoming challenges to create amazing. Grace is an entrepreneur and success coach who works with individuals to diminish their negative mental chatter, boost their confidence, achieve their goals, and increase their prosperity mindset. Get ready for a series of Anything Goes Conversations with remarkable men and women that will get you jazzed for life's unlimited possibilities of success, freedom, and fun. Welcome to Real Talk with Grace Redmond. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Real Talk, where I get to have real life, raw conversations with incredible people from my circles and communities who overcome challenge and create amazing. They inspire me every single time. And today my guest is the incredible Greg Baldwin. Greg is a comedian, renowned actor, producer, and host of the Second Chances podcast. Greg has performed regularly at the Comedy Store, improv comedy clubs, and countless other venues, performing in shows with many top comedians, including Bill Burr, Kevin Nealon, Bob Saget, Jay Moore, and countless others. He currently tours and features for comedy legend Daryl Hammond of Saturday Night Live. He has also achieved critical acclaim as the host of the inspirational podcast, Second Chances, on which he brings out the best in his guests as they share their life stories. Always authentic, always informed, and always present. His humble strength guides his guests through a journey of revelation and honesty like no other. Greg has also found deserved success as an actor and honed his craft as a dedicated student of the greats, including the renowned Howard Fine, Kirk Baltz, and Gene Shelton. He gained invaluable experience studying at the legendary The Groundings and Upright Citizens Brigade. Greg quickly became in demand and has acted in multiple films and prestigious commercials for Sony, Chrysler, Volkswagen, and Doritos. Greg knows a thing or two about second chances. He is a man whose core foundation is derived from his own deep personal story. He has worked tirelessly with his faith, intellect, and commitment to create an amazing new career for himself. Please help me welcome my dear friend, Greg Baldwin, to the show today. <laughs> welcome! Hi, Grace. That, wow, that was, that was quite the intro. Well, that's all you. And thank you so much for your patience. We just, I had a, a tech difficulty, but you know what? You just show up and show out and it's all good. No, oh, it's awesome. It's awesome to see, see you. I, you know, I, I think we talked about this before, but I, I feel a very special connection with you because we bonded somewhere in our schooling. I forget yes. which, where, where it was, if we had a class together, but we always, I always felt like a special connection with you. Oh, I feel uh, the same way. Thank you. And for those who don't know, Greg and I go way back to high school. So you're talking decades. You know, we've known each other for decades and it's just been incredible to witness his journey. I know you're on the podcast two years ago and I've been following you the last two years and I'm, I'm just blown away by how you've expanded the last two years. And that's why I'm like, hey, do you want to come back on? Like, I want to talk about this expansion. Yeah, no, it's fine. I've, I'm having a great, I mean, you know, my dream is to have a, a job in a career that I would do for free. Mm. And, and so that's been my, my 
my aspirations. And, you know, I walked away from, you know, I made a lot of sacrifices and I walked away from a lot of stability. I walked away from a good career. I walked mm -hmm. away, you know, from the 401k and, you know, working nine to five and, and, and I took a chance on myself and it's been a struggle, but the things I'm doing now, it's, I, I mean, it's, it's insane. It's so cool that I, that I get to perform with people that I grew up watching on TV and, and it's just, it's just really, really exciting. But last Tuesday on September 12th, a couple of Tuesdays ago, was my 10 year anniversary of yes. doing stand-up. Congratulations. Cool, Congratulations. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and I, so I'm grateful for you talking about, you know, the struggle because I work with so many individuals who are in the nine to five and they have this dream and they're so afraid to take the risk because like you said, they're walking away from stability, the 401k, the consistent paycheck. So can you, you know, sp speak on that about, you know, going after your dream and taking the risk? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, a, a, a lot of times, you know, so working as a comedian is not, it's been a it's a bad career move financially because <laughs> you know, in LA, you know, people don't realize it's like, I'll do I'll do these shows. I'll do a show with Bill Burr and not even get paid, you know, and our Bob, you know, well, Bob Saget passed, but you know, yeah, I perform with, you know, you know, all these big people and they're like, wow, you know, he's killing it, but it's, you know, they don't, it doesn't pay a lot in, in Los Angeles. And so financially it's very, it's a very, it's a difficult struggle. And, you know, the other thing about the, the process of being a standup is, uh, in order to become a good stand-up, you have to suck for a long time. You have to be terrible. And what that means is that you have to go out and perform in front of friends and family when you're not good and, and be judged as not being good. And it's like, I did a show in 2017. I don't know if, if you went to that one, but I, I was, it was here. That 2017. So now. At, at, was it at Cobb's Comedy in the City? It was at Punchline. Yes. Yes, I remember that you came in and we, a bunch of us came to see you. Okay, so I don't know was you there's was it in the past couple of years or was it like five years ago? It was a while ago. Yeah, it, okay. was, it was yeah over so five was, years ago. You know, and you know how you don't have to, you know. I don't remember. I just remember we were there. We were just happy to see you on the stage. I, I know. So that's the thing, you know. And I wasn't a very good comedian at the time. You know, I'd been doing it for four years. And four or five years, and I wasn't a good comedian. So all those friends, I sold it out as like 170 people. And all those people that saw me were probably went away going, wow, you know, that was amazing. That was so fun. We got to see everybody, but you know, it's not very good. <laughs> you know, so that oh, being able to, you know, withstand, you know, mm -hmm. and and it's like I'll go do a show, you know. I did I, I've done the punchline a bunch of times now. And I can tell like when, you know, when people when I don't do well and they're like, people don't flock to, and, you know, talk to me, you know what I mean? Or they're not like, oh my God, that was so good. You are so funny. And it's, and they don't say any of those things. And they're like, wow, congratulations. You're, you know, you're really, you're really going for it. You know, that kind of stuff. And it, and then, and then you go home and you're like, fuck man, like, why am I doing this? It's just so brutal. You know, and it's that self-doubt and that and that pain. But then every once in a while, you have these moments of, of uh, it's like hitting a, a game-winning home run in the bottom of the ninth of the World Series, and it's the greatest thing ever. And you get these little flashes of, 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 of incredibleness. Of it's just the best, and so that keeps you going. But I, you know, I just have so much respect for people that have, you know, that do stand up more than you know two, three, four years because it's just so it's so brutal. It's so hard. So now how do you do that? 
Like, how do you, how did you get, because I've, I've listened to you with Jimmy on a few podcasts and, and you talk about, you know, that doubt. How do you get over that? Because it's rough. I've, I've had to really work hard to get to a place where that judgment doesn't just take me down. Like, yeah. how do you, and that's real, you know, you're in, on stage in front of all of these people. You feel like you sucked. Yeah. Well, how do you get through that? You know, you just, you, you know, it, it used to cripple me. You know, and I bombed in front of my parents one time and for months I would have severe anxiety before I performed, you know, and I would take a nap before I perform a show and do a night show and then I'd wake up going, oh my God, what am I doing? Like, I have to go perform. This is, I don't want to do this. And people would say, you know, do you love stand up? And I would think to myself, like, no, I, I, I hate it. Like, well, I really hate it. It, it. There's just these moments of, of incredibleness and I just mm. pushed, I just pushed through it. Now... It's the greatest thing ever. Most of the time, ninety percent of the time, I now I do good work now, and I'm funny. Yeah. And people, you're amazing. Can, yeah, no, I can tell I'm funny because people I don't know come up to me and ask me for pictures or tell me I was funny. It's it's that's when you know. And then you know, my 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 first mentor was a guy named Ant, and he was a judge on the last Comic Stand, and he said, "You know, you're starting to make it when people you don't know come to see you perform." Mm. And I've, and I'm starting to get some of that and, and, and now I'm, I'm starting to have good material and I'm learning how to edit it, edit and stuff. But, you know, every once in a while, it's like, I just did a show. Uh, I, I produced a show. It's a SNL alumni show. And, um, the week before I did a show at this place called the ice house and I just killed, I mean, I, it was unbelievable. Huge yeah. ovation. It's just incredible. And so I'm thinking I'm going to go kill this SNL alumni show. And it was with, you know, some, some heavyweights. So it was with Chris Catan. And Jay Farrell, who's fantastic, and Daryl Hammond, who is 14 years. He's a current announcer, and he played Clinton, and I toured with them. And then a guy named Jay Moore, who's, who's really famous. And I hosted it. I produced the show, and I hosted it. So I'm like, I'm going to kill and this and that, but I did not kill. How do and you know you did not kill? Because you just know. The, the crowd goes nuts, huge laughter. You know, I was getting applause and laughs, but it was you know, not what I did the week before. So I had these false expectations that I was going to destroy, but you know, someone told me, my Jay Moore told me after he's like, dude, it was an SNL show. They're there to see SNL people. And you're just a host. You're not in, in, in the host spot's not a kill spot. But what happened, I was, I was devastated, mm. you know, cause I had these false expectations that I was going to kill. So I did another, mm. I did another SNL show. The next one I said, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm a host. And my job is to warm it up for these guys mm. that everybody's there to see. And I meditated before and I, and I had a great set and it was fine. I didn't kill like massacre, but I, I was okay with it. So it's just these incredibly high highs and these incredibly low lows. And you put, you're constantly putting yourself in really dangerous situations and uncomfortable situations. And, and what happens over time is you learn how to be okay with, you know, the silence. And you grow. What is the silence? What do you mean by the silence? You tell a joke and they normally laugh and they don't laugh. Got it. And so you learn little tricks. So what's uh, one of the tricks? So one of the tricks, I, well, I don't do this anymore. I used to, but I had a little notepad or like, I look on my phone and I'd, I'd be like, Oh my God, I think I screwed this joke up. Let me, let me check my notes. And then I go, <laughs> uh, I'm funny. Don't care what people think about me. That's believe, believe in yourself. You know, and then people would laugh at that. Sometimes the best joke is when you joke about the joke not working. And then another one when I'd be like, oh, my God, that's weird. That one killed at the office today. 
And and so, but like you said earlier, you you have the same routine, right? And you killed it. And then the next night or the next week, it is that you know normal? It's like one week it could kill it somewhere, and another week it's it, does it depend on the audience? Does it depend on your energy? Everything. And sometimes you say something a little different, and it, you know. And I, I learned a valuable lesson. I was watching a comedian. Uh, he's kind of in timeout. He's coming back now. His name's uh, Louis C.K. And oh, we yeah. were doing- ha- Mike's had me watch Louis C.K. a few times. He's brilliant. He got a little trouble for 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 some stuff he did. He got, okay. but he's doing shows again. But he, you know, regardless of the other stuff, he is one of the greatest joke writers ever, and he's one of the best comedians ever. And I watched him. I was doing a show at the Comedy Store, and I was in one room, and someone I went up, I did my set, and someone's like, "Hey, Louis C.K. is in the original room in the other room." So I go watch his set, right? And he just destroyed. Like it was insane. The crowd was going insane, right? And then he went over to the room I was in and he performed again. And he did the same material, same delivery, same everything, and was not getting any laughs. Interesting. And I was like, I learned a lesson. I'm like, wow. And sometimes you just can't figure it out, you know? And then every time my ego starts getting big, you know, I'm like, oh, I got this. I'm, you know, you know, I'm a great comedian and, you know, something happens to humble me, you know, I'll have a tough set and it's, so the highs are really, really high like incredibly high and the lows are extremely, extremely low where uh, brutal. I mean, how do you move through those low, low, like, how do you get through those low lows? You you know, it doesn't. So it used to cripple me for weeks, a month or something when I, when I bombed, you know, I don't, I mean, bombing, meaning I didn't, I didn't get, I've always gotten last, but not, you know, what you want. Yeah. Yeah. And, but now if I don't have a great set, Usually it affects me for a day or two. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I just brush it off. And sometimes if I'm spiritually fit mm-hmm. and I'm in a good place, no. you know, I'm just like, I don't even care. I'll just, I'll plow right through it, you know, and, and I don't even care. I'm like, I'll call the crowd out on it and I'm just on fire. And usually then I have a good set because I'm in that mindset, but it's like life. Right. You know? right. And, and, and I love that word spiritually fit because, you know, that's what I work towards because I know when I'm spiritually fit, when I have those failures, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to move through it. I learned, but you know, there's times when I'm not spiritually fit or I'm in my ego or I'm feeling, you know, I'm going for outside validation and that happens. It it knocks me off. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that I got to remember too, it's like, I'm not there to get, you know, Mm -hmm. when I go and perform, it's not about me receiving it's about me giving. Yes. And so my job is to make people laugh and help forget their days and bring joy and laughter. That's my job. My job isn't to receive all the adoration and laughter so I feel good. My job is to make them feel good. And so when I'm in that mindset, my job is, it's a service job. My job is to make bring joy and happiness in, to people. And so when I'm connected with a crowd mm. and I'm living my purpose and then I'm at my best. When Amen. I- when I'm not connected and I have expectations and I'm not connected to the crowd, I'll get off the stage and I won't recognize a single person that was in the crowd. When I'm super connected, I can recognize tons of people and that I had seen and connected with and made eye contact with and I saw laughing. You know, and, the, and there's another thing, a trick that I've learned over time where I used to perform, if there was a table and nobody's laughing and everybody's else laughing, I would focus on the table that wasn't laughing and try to get them to laugh and they wouldn't laugh. And then I would think I had a terrible set. And so, and then people would be like, dude, you did great. And, you know, and then now 
I ignore the table that's not laughing. And sometimes people just aren't laughers, you know, they might be enjoying it, but I focus in on the positive and, and I love it so much I now, yeah, but it's, it's, it's hard. It's just and, hard. And I can imagine. I mean, when you talk about the high highs and the low lows and I make an effort to be as neutral, you know, as possible as I move through life and it's challenging. Mm-hmm. And then I can't imagine, you know, the high highs and the low, because I want to stay in the high highs. You know, I love that dopamine hit. Yeah. That's and cool. I've been trying, you know, I've been finding new ways in life to get that dopamine hit. And for me, I get the dopamine hit from connecting, like what, what how we're doing now from feeling fulfilled. And yeah. I burnt out last year and my coach was like, okay, Grace, it's about service. I'm like, well, you know what? I'm tired of hearing about service. I serve all, you know, I was kind of in that, you know, crybaby mode. However, that's exactly what it's about. It's about being absurd. This is not about me. Mm-hmm. It's about how can I give back? So I love how you said that. Like, it's not about me and my expectations about how am I serving and I'm here to make you laugh. And that's my intention. And yeah. it sounds like when you release, you know, that expectation, you just feel connected and, and you walk off feeling great. Yeah. I know reading, easier said than done. I mean, I'm reading, I'm reading this, you know, I don't know if, if, if people are just seeing me for the first time. You know, I have a, a pretty, uh, I have a history of uh, addiction and I've been clean and sober for eight and a half years. I was a meth addict. I got down to, you know, 118 pounds, missing teeth. And so I, I'm living a second chance in life. And part of the obligation of living, getting a second chance in life, I mean, I was literally dying, 118 pounds. And and, and part of the obligation now getting a second chance in life is I, I cannot live a selfish life anymore. And I have to live a life of service. And so when I'm living in self and I'm, th- I'm sitting around thinking about myself and my career, what I'm going to get, you know, how am I going to get this and what can I do to get that? You know, I'm, I'm miserable, you know, and I'm, I'm reading this book. It's called Buddha's brain mm. and it's, and it talks right now. I'm on the chapter about so many valuable lessons in this book, but it's, but right now it's about the self. And one of the, it said, you know, I read last night, one of the exercises is Try to have conversations without saying I, me, you know, and talking about myself. And it, that's hard. I hear you. Know? you. That's hard. I to just do. Said, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, because I want to, you know, I want everybody to like me and I want everybody to know how well I'm doing. And and then there was another thing I, I, I read in this book too. It's like, you know, I'm trying to, so I have a negative thinking mind. And so. We all do. Yeah. You're, t- yeah. And you're talking, you know, you're talking about the dopamine hits. I want to be, I want to be hit the game winning home run to the bottom of the ninth of the world series every second of every day. And that, that's not life. No, it's not. It's not. And so I'm learning different ways. And so what will happen for me is like all these good things will happen. And I wake up one day and it's like, my career's over. I'm never going to mount to anything. I, you know, all these negative things that are, that my mind's telling, I mean, I'm, I'm just miserable and I'm, so I'm trying to, and what happens, there's actually connections in your brain that are fire that are happening, you know, when different when you have these different thoughts and you and when you're positive. And so mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out how do I become more positive in my thinking? And there's different things. Meditation is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Meditation is is really big. Exercise, all the normal normal things, service work, mm-hmm. you know, helping people. And then there was one that I, another thing that I, that I thought was really interesting and it's, you know, our, the view of us, right? Tell me if more. I, if my, if I'm thinking of us as the whole world, we're all on the same team, right? 
then I'm, I'm usually pretty happy when I'm like trying to help and be a service mm-hmm. and we're all on the same team. When the us is just me and I'm the us and I'm all I think about and I'm just my universe and I'm not concerned with other people and I'm the us, then I'm usually very miserable. So mm-hmm. the, the, the ego, I, I've learned to embrace the ego, something yeah. that's helped me, you know, our mind is naturally, naturally goes to the negative. That's the way we're wired for survival. And, you know, I've been working on this, you know, for quite some time. And something that's helped me is, you know, I listened to doc, shout out to Dr. Joe Dispenza, Dr. Joe Dispenza, you know, he, he talks about like rewiring the neurological pathways and it works, you know, where I was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago is very different than where I am today. Not, of course, I still have those, those thoughts, but it's very different than, than it was, but it's something that I've committed to and I practice and the affirmations. I know some people don't believe in affirmations, um, but just that constant, our negative thinking is a habit. And so I've learned that I could, you know, shift it. It's not easy, yeah. but you know, we can, it's just a habit. And just like you said, meditation, the exercise. And I feel the gratitude's huge. I practice yeah. gratitude. Me too. I do a gratitude list almost every morning. Right. And then I just like being in that vibration and that energy. It's, it's dopamine so much more. And of course, like you said, it's not life. We are, all of our emotions serve us. Mm-hmm. It's just, I, I enjoy, and you know, maybe sometimes I intellectualize, intellectualize things to the positive too quickly. Maybe I need to sit into when I'm feeling longer. Yeah. However, the things that I attract when I'm, feeling better when I'm gratitude. It's amazing, which brings me to two years ago, you know, we were on the show and then I've witnessed you over the last two years, just your careers Mm -hmm. exploded. Did you have to have a shift in your mindset to get from where you were two years ago to today? You know, I I don't know if I had a shift in my mindset, I think, you know, so what's changed in the past two years, I I was touring, I wasn't really touring a couple years ago, I don't think. Maybe I was just starting to tour, but um, and so I remember you were, you've been, you know, you were coming up for shows. I mean, I saw you with right. Daryl Hammond. Oh, right. okay, cool. Yeah. So I had been touring already. Mm-hmm. So the change now is I started producing shows at the Hollywood Improv, which is one of the most famous comedy clubs. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it's a change in mindset. I think it's just, you know, I just constantly try to help these guys. Mm-hmm. You know, with Daryl, I do a lot for him. Daryl Hammond, you know, from SNL. He takes me on tour all over the place. And, and then Jay Moore, I started touring with. Jay Moore was on, he played Bob Sugar on Jerry Maguire. I saw you with Bo, I think I saw you with Jay Moore. Yeah. The last time you're, or the last time I saw you. Yep, 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 yep. So I've done, I've done, uh, I did the punchline with Jay Moore. Yes. And that's when you came. You and, uh, um, you came with. Uh, Raph, Abdul, the whole team. Like. Oh yeah, okay. okay. Omar, Jenna, we were all there. Omar, yeah, 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 that's right. And, uh, uh, but I think you, I just try to be a service, you know, and, and stop mm-hmm. trying to figure out what I can get for myself. And uh, I just try to help these guys. Yeah. I don't tour that much with Jay, although I am going to tour with Jay and Daryl at the same time. That's uh, amazing. I'll tell you a cool story. I, so I'm doing this show. It's, it's an impression show. So Daryl and I were in San Diego and a year, year, a couple years ago. And we were doing the Laugh Factory and we're 
we're going, Daryl was going to do a radio interview. So we were, I, I turned on the radio, we we're driving to the station in San Diego to listen. And I was turned on the morning show and Jay Moore was on the show right before us. So, so I texted Jay. I'm like, Jay, don't, don't take off. Daryl, Daryl and I are, are coming into the station. So he waits for us. We get in there. We're like, Oh man, what's up? You know? So Daryl does his interview. We agree. Let's, we're going to go out to breakfast. And so we go out to breakfast and I'm sitting, it's with me, Daryl Hammond and Jay Moore and one of Jay's friends. We're sitting at breakfast and they start talking. Daryl, Jay was on SNL too. They start doing impressions back and forth, right? And talking about Saturday Night Live and being on the show. And they start doing these impressions back and forth. Daryl's one of the most preeminent impressionists of all times. And Jay is very good too. And so he's incredible, like phenomenal, but he's not as much, he's not as known for the impressions, but they start. And I'm like, this is insane right? This is so cool. Oh my God. And, and listen to all this SNL backstage, you know, and, and anyway, and, and Jay says, Daryl, we should do a show together. That's how you got the idea for the show from breakfast. Yeah. So, so this is, so I've, I'm producing two shows. I did I have two shows, two different ones, but so Jay, Daryl's like, yes. So I put together a lunch and with the three of us and we sit down and Jay's like, okay, this is what we'll do. Greg will moderate it. And let's get all the impressions. Great. So I started getting all their impressions. They have like 25 each, 25, 30 each. Wow. I got them all paper. And so we, we, we go and do the show and it's, we've done like 10 or so shows, maybe 15, but what happens now, so we've kind of perfected it or advanced it. So I do 10 minutes. I host and then just stand up. Daryl does 20 minutes of stand up. Jay does 20 minutes of stand up. Then all three of us come to stage on together. Wow. That and, sounds amazing. Uh, yeah, and then I'm I'm the, I I'm moderate it, and then I just go back and forth with their impressions. And what do you so, mean you go back and forth with their impressions? So Daryl does uh, Clinton. So I'll say you know I'll say to Daryl I'll say Daryl you played you've met you performed for five presidents you met Bill Clinton in the Oval Office what was that experience like? And then that will lead him into his impression. And then yeah. I'll, and then I'll say to Jay Moore I'll say Jay you were. You worked with uh, Academy Award winner, what's his name? God damn it. Cowbell, uh, you know, on SNL. What's his name? Oh, uh, yes, yes. Chris Walken. Christopher Walken. Yeah. You worked, yeah. 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 I said you worked with Christopher Walken and the uh, Academy Award winner in Suicide Kings. What was that experience like? And then it leads into his thing. But then at the end, you know, so we go through all their impressions, Pacino, De Niro, Sean Connery. And then I'm, I'm just going back and forth with them. So I moderate it. And then at the end, I do a speed round. And I'll say like Don Knotts, Barney Fife to Daryl. And then I'll say Kermit the Frog to Jay. And they just, and we just go back and forth and back and forth. And the show is phenomenal. I can't wait to see it. It's so good. So we're, we toured it in Jersey and Philly. And we just, now I created this cool, cool video of all their impressions and to promote the show. And so we just, we're going to start touring it next year. That's amazing. Congratulations. That's amazing. And and that's what I mean. You know, just so much you've, created so much and it sounds like because i've asked you a few different ways like was it your mindset what have you shifted and you keep going back to service you know you're yeah. not focusing on yourself it's about service and just giving back and yeah. so would you say when we just focus on service and giving back in that way things do, do they just fall into place like did you have a vision did you have a desire did you visualize what you wanted or is this just kind of happening so you know i'll tell well i'll tell you i'll tell you how it all started I, I used to go to the comedy store. I was an actor. I was a theater actor in San Francisco before I got sober and, and doing voiceovers and stuff like that. I moved to LA. I got sober in 2007. And, you know, I wanted to be an actor. 
you know, that was my dream. And, and I was doing improv and all this stuff. And I used to go to the comedy store, one of the most famous comedy clubs in the, in the United States by myself. Oh, wow. And I would just watch comedians by myself. It never crossed my mind to do stand up. Really? Never, never crossed my mind. Never. I never thought I could be funny. I never thought I was a good writer and never crossed my mind. So hmm. I, and part of my recovery is I speak in, in jails in LA and I've, I've spoken, you know, probably over 300 times to inmates and uh, I have some drug stories that make people laugh and stuff. But anyway, I was at a recovery meeting one night and this guy, my friend Glenn introduced me to this newcomer. He was new into recovery. So he had like 30 days clean. And, and then he says to me, he goes, Hey, will you give him a ride home after the meeting? And here's what I thought to myself. I'm like, why don't you give him a ride home? Like, why are you asking me? You got a car. But listen, you know, I, I, I say yes to life now. And so I said, yes. So I gave this newcomer ride home and, and I'm like, do you have a car? And he's like, no. And I'm like, do you need help getting to meetings? And he's like, yeah. So I start picking him up. I start taking him to meetings and he, I would go to Starbucks. He'd never order anything. I'm like, are you broke? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, do you have groceries? And he's like, no. And I'm like, all right, I'll take you grocery shopping. And I'm like, where do you shop? And I'll take you there. And he, this dude took me to Whole Foods. I was going to say, I remember, the, I love this story. He said, you like, he took me to Whole Foods. Yeah, he took me to Whole Foods. I got like a little tiny basket for like a hundred bucks. But anyway, I did my part and it turns out he was a stand-up comedian and he invited me to go to one of his shows. And it was a terrible show. There were comedians were horrible and he was good, but everybody else sucked. And I said to him after, I'm like, dude, I could tell drug stories and be as funny as happy these guys. And he's like, do you want to try it? And I'm like, okay. And because I say yes to life now. So I, he put me up a week later at this, at the comedy store at a beginner show. And I told some drug stories and then I wrapped it up with a recovery message. And uh, I got high fives off the stage. And that was, and the host comes back up and he's like, holy shit, man. He goes, I didn't know this was an AA meeting. <laughs> And everybody started laughing. That was on September 12th of 2013. So I just hit 10 years, but I was doing a show uh, about three years after that. I was doing a show at the comedy store, the most famous comedy club in the world. And I was backstage behind the curtain, the same curtain that Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor, Jay Leno, Letterman, you know, Robin Williams, all the greatest comedians of all time have walked through this curtain and I'm hosting the show. And I'm talking to Bill Burr, who's one of the biggest comedians in the in the country right now. And I remember, and I and I was talking to him, and I'm about to take the stage and introduce Bill Burr, and I and I just thought to myself, like, like how did this happen? Like right. how how am I a stand up comedian? Like this is crazy. And and I was just overwhelmed with just an awe that I was doing this. At the, and and uh, you know how it ha- you know how it happened? I said yes to life. Yeah, and I gave a newcomer a ride home. You know what, Greg, I keep, I'm going to get emotional. I tell that story so often and I keep that story in my mind to remind me that you just, you just don't know. And like you said, we get into our ego and we need to do this and take action and I want to grow this. And we forget about, you know, giving back. And so that story always reminds me, okay, Grace, take a step back. Mm -hmm. You never know, like always stay kind say yes. It's okay to help. It's okay to do all of these things because you you never know who you're helping. You never know where it could take you. Yeah. And you know, when you're, when you're living in that, in that, in that mindset, you know, you're happy. 
you know? You are. And you know what I find? I don't know if this resonates with you. Like every morning I wake up and I said, you know what? Thank you, God, for giving me another day. Mm-hmm. And I'm open to the unimaginable surprises that you have in store for me. That's great. I My prayer sometimes is, God, please tell me where to go. Tell me what to say and who to say it to. Please That's tell me to be a maximum service. And, you know, I, listen, you know, I'm not a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. I pray. I pray. I meditate 20 minutes twice a day. This is my, you know, for anybody that's listening and you have a thing against organized religion or whatever, whatever your belief system. I just know from my personal self, I don't have any problems with any religions or anything like that. But my, for my personal self, I know there's something working in my life. I don't know what it is. I don't think it's a gray haired dude judging me for, you know, heaven or hell or something like that. But I don't know. But there's something, there's some reason I'm here. I'm here. Like I have to evolve. Even though you're not religious, you believe that there's something out there. I I know. I know there is, you know, and because I've had like a lot of burning, I've had several burning bush experiences where the- Tell me more like about, what do you mean burning bush experiences? Like spiritual awakenings or Mm -hmm. moments of clarity. And, you know, if I tell the stories, people think I'm crazy, but- No, I mean, if you're open, because again, I know you and I have talked, like I, I, there is- something greater than us. I believe in miracles. I believe anything yeah. is possible. There's like, if all the little coincidences, serendipity things that have happened, those like moments you're like, whoa, that is impossible. That happened at this time. You know what I mean? Like it's a, if I put them all on paper, even before I got clean and sober, you know, and, and but it, especially since, cause I'm more conscious and awakened, awake to them now, it's, it's impossible for there not to be something working in my life. I'll tell you a crazy story and your people think I'm crazy, but no, I love it. I want to hear it. Okay. So before I got sober, I was smoking meth and I kept, I, and I kept like catching the clock at like 420, like all the, all these 420s kept popping up. Right. Puff, puff, give. Just kidding. That's what I thought. And I'm like, I thought, here's what I thought. I'm like, oh shit. It's a message for me to quit smoking weed. Right. (laughs) Only smoke weed. Stop math and just smoke weed. That's, That's what I thought it was for. This is like the 420 is like the international sign for uh, pot, right? You know? Oh, for those that don't know. But it it was happening all the time before I got clean. And I was like, oh, you know, it's like the universe is telling me to, you know, just smoke pot. But anyway, I got, I got clean and I ended up going to rehab. I got clean and I was in rehab and uh, I got out and I had this one day. It was just, I was going to use, I had a real bad day. I had an audition to get in the ground link school, which I heard is now, now I know it's not a big deal. You can just get in anyway, but you have to go audition. But I thought I missed my audition. I'm never going to be a ground link and this and that. And it was raining and I, I ran right by it. I missed the audition. And then I went to this, I went to the bus stop and I was going to go to a, a recovery meeting and I'm sitting at the bus stop. A, uh, a car goes by, hits a puddle. All this water comes and goes all over me. I'm sopping wet. And I'm like, God, why? And this girl came and she sat down. She's like, oh, and like the seat was really wet. So I just wiped it off with my shirt. And I'm like, she, she sat down and we start talking. And I'm like, I, she said she had done math a few times. I told her I just got clean. And I tried to convince her to, you know, to get me math. I was going to relapse. And I had been clean for a couple months. Mm. And, and I had lost everything. So I was busing. I was taking the bus. I had no driver license, no car. And, and she's like, no, I'm not going to get you math. And she goes, but you know what? I'll hang out with you after I get off work. So why don't you come meet me? And she worked at this place. And so I went to go meet her and, and then she totally st- stood me up. And so I went home and I, I, I was calling my ex-girlfriend who actually introduced me to math and she had moved to LA. We used to do math in San Francisco. She moved to LA. So I, I had like, 
this is back when there was pay phones 16 years ago. And I had like $10 worth of change. And she kept, I, she kept hanging. Every time I, she'd answer, she'd hang up on me. The quarter, and, right? Yeah, yeah. And I kept going through all my quarters, right? So I, I got down and like, I had a couple quarters left. And I'm like, if she does, if she hangs up on me again, I mean, I was out of my mind. I said, I'm going to get high. And she oh, answered nice. the phone. She took my call. She agreed to meet with me, right? This is a long-winded story, but. Now, were you in LA or San Francisco? You're in LA. LA. You said you're going to the grounding school. Okay. Yeah, I was in LA. I was living in a sober living home. I had no car and I was busting everywhere. And, and you know, I used to be pretty carnage. Huh? That's carnage and wreckage. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, so I go, I go meet my ex. I was going to go to meet my ex-girlfriend. She doesn't show up. I wait for her for like two hours. She doesn't show up. And I'm like, it was like midnight. So I had to take the last bus home. You know, I was, otherwise I was going to walk, have to walk like eight miles. So I get on the bus and I'm like, uh, and I'm like, oh my God, I didn't, I didn't relapse. Mm, and I looked up at the the little electronic signal on the bus and it was 420. So that was, it was April 20th of 2013. It said 420. And I'm like, oh my God. Right. So fast forward, I was in sober living and my friend calls me and he's like, we're going to move out together. And, and he goes, Hey, he goes, I think I found a place. Come meet me. And I said, okay, what's the address? 420 North Palm Drive. And so I ended up moving into 420. That was my address. And then one of my friends uh, called me to get into rehab because he was having a, a tough time. And I and I was had to, I get, had to get his insurance information. And I said, what's your birthday? And he said, 420. So and what does that, it mean to you? Because I know like there's different numbers. So what yeah. does 420 mean to you? Yeah, one more thing. So my my first comedy mentor, who's, who's, who was a judge on the last comic standing, his sobriety date was 420. Wow. So all these numbers. And then I, you know, at weird times, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and just look at my phone and it'll say 420. And what that means to me and what I've learned is you're on the right path. Amen. So th that's pretty out there, you know, and people could say that doesn't believe in a higher power of God that you just happen to look at the clock or you happen to move in there. It's just coincidences. But there's been so many of the 420s that it's like, Okay. Either I'm living in the matrix or something is pointing me in the right direction. No, I love that. I, I go by the numbers too. I always, you know, two, two, and, you know, if I'm talking to someone and I say it's two, 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 11, 11. So I, I believe, and I take those as signs, you know, yeah. and it's, it's funny. Sometimes I'll be thinking about something or talking about something or having, you know, needing to make a decision. And I see 11, 11, then I'm like, okay, I'm on the right track. So I'm on, I'm, I'm with you on this. Yeah. There's, There's another thing all over. There's another thing too. When I, when I was smoking meth, I was, you know, I was in bad shape. And, and uh, one day this thought came to me that I can't stop smoking meth because I can't get pleasure. Like nothing hmm. gives me pleasure. Right. And so it was like a, a thought that that thought came to me and it wasn't even like my own thought. It was like a thought that was interjected to me. It was, it's hard to explain. And the next morning I woke up and I'm like, that's it, man. That's why I can't get clean. Like I can't get pleasure. Like nothing will satisfy me without using drugs. And I got in my car and I used to work for, you know, I used to work for radio stations, K, K Fox and KOME. Yeah, I remember. 1105, but I used to record promos and I voiced these promos, right? And I hadn't worked there for like a year, but I get in my car and I'm driving down the street and I turn on my old, one of my old stations and my voice came on the radio oh, for, wow. for the, one of the promos that I had recorded previously. And I said, wouldn't it be great if K Fox played a bunch of songs that started with the letter S? And the Rolling Stones, I can't get no satisfaction came on. That's and I was like, whoa, 
like this thought came to me mm-hmm. and then that my my a promo I previously recorded said I can't get it and it was like a moment of clarity and that, that I realized like I need help and you know a month or so after I ended up going to rehab and get clean but just the little things like that, you know. I'm 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 all about those signs and being aware and gaining that clarity and and but again, I think we need to pay attention and if you know, like you talked about meditation, do you find that those moments of clarity come to you, you know, more often now that you are meditating, that you're taking the time to connect with, you know, a higher power? Yeah, there's so now these like I think those really bold burning bush experiences were like, hey, I'm showing you, like, this is your way, this and that. But now that I'm I'm a spiritual, I'm spiritually fit usually a lot, I, they're subtle. They're more subtle. And so what mm-hmm. I'm trying to do is is increase my awareness and my consciousness. I love that. And, and be a more awake. But you know, what the things that I do can block me from that consciousness. You know, the selfishness, the self-centeredness, the, you know, doing, you know, behavior that I shouldn't engage in, or like, you know, I was I was playing poker all the time. That these out these things that, that will block me from being being able to see clearly and then what happens sometimes when i'm not spiritually fit and i'm not conscious is i'll make poor decisions mm-hmm. or i'll or i'll somebody will anger me and i'll i'll i'll, I'll react to them and i'll say something or i'll make a, deci- a poor decision and then what happens is i go through pain and i have to correct it and so what i've learned to do now is i've learned to not react and to keep to myself. Sometimes I keep to myself and I'm, I'm really hard on myself, but I learn not to react so I don't cause those problems. Because usually when I get upset or I yell at somebody or or something, I'm usually wrong is what I've learned. Because? You know? Because I'm not, I'm not, I'm thinking, you know, I'm in self, mm. you know, and I'm not making, you know, but when I'm meditating 20 minutes twice a day, I'm speaking on jail panels you know, and I think I'm more conscious and more clear and I can see the path, you know, in front of me that I'm supposed to go and things work out. Or if, or if I, you know, if I have to overcome it, if something happens difficult in my life, I'm usually okay to handle it and stuff like that. But I mean, it's just a battle, you know, life is hard. It's just hard. You know what? It's, it's, it's also challenging to commit to all of those things you talked about, you know, being of service, you know, showing up every day, the meditation, it's not, it's not easy, but I get addicted to the results. Yeah. And and sometimes like, you know, I just, I mean, of course there's days that we just, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say fuck everything off, but some days I don't meditate or some days and I, I feel the difference. Yeah. Um, but it does. It takes a commitment to to live this lifestyle. It really does. Sometimes I think like, you know, because I, you know, I have, I'm a recovering drug addict and, you know, listen, I'm not I'm not cured about of my my drug addiction and alcoholism. And it's so I have to do a lot of things to uh, to stay clean and sober, because eventually if I don't, I'm going to drink or use. If I don't go to meetings, if I don't do service work, if I don't, you know, uh, live a uh, honest you know life, eventually I'll pick up again. But Sometimes it feels like I got to do all this stuff. I got to pray. I got to meditate. I got to try to help people all just to be at zero. I mean, just I, to start the day without being negative and miserable and depressed and anxiety and all that stuff. I have to meditate. I got to pray. I got to go speak on a jail panel. I got to try to live. So all these times, sometimes I just got to, I just have to do these things just to be, just to start the day. Okay. 
but you're more than okay. And I'm a codependent, you know, mm. to uh, a recovering alcoholic. Mm. And you can be sober and not be an alcoholic or a drug addict or recovery and live a miserable life. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm learning, you know, from my experience with, you know, with my partner that it's not about just stopping the addiction, you know, the drugs right. or the alcohol. It's about right. living life because you could be sober and still live a shitty ass fucking life. Yeah, you're right. So, you take away, you take away, you have a horse thief and he stops stealing horses and, but you still have a thief, you know, you know, or I, I forget how that saying goes, but if I, if I, I'm a recovering drug addict, if I take away the drugs and I don't change my behavior, I, that I'm, I'm going to, I may be suicidal. Like if I don't, if I don't work a recovery program and pray and meditate and do service work, I, I, there's no way either one of two things are happening. You know, I'll pick up again, or I just can't, I can't, I can't stand another second the way I let that I feel in my mind and my body. So, you know, I go to, I go to recovery meetings all the time. I speak in jail panels. I do all these things just to try to, just to be okay. And if I stop doing these things, I'm probably going to drink or use again, you know, because I'm going to become so uncomfortable. It's called dry, but you're right. I, you know, I want to say and I appreciate no. you being so real and vulnerable and authentic. It's, it's, it's not, you know, addiction is, you know, I was in denial for years. It's, it's not, you know, easy to witness or, or have someone in your life like that. And so when I, hmm. you know, hear these stories that it's possible to overcome it, and I, it, it, I, I can't imagine, you know, what it's like, but just to know that there's life at the other side of it, it's like, it gives hope. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, and we don't have the cornerstone on, on depression and miserable. A lot of people without addiction have it too, but I'm, you know, on the flip side, that's the difficult parts about, about it. But the other part is on the, on the positive side is I'm the best version of myself. I am today. Mm -hmm. I, I live, I, you know, I believe in God and higher power or whatever. I live this incredible life and all these things are happening. I get to tour the country with guys from mm -hmm. SNL I'm producing these shows, you know, with, uh, with SNL, with more SNL guys. And I, uh, you know, it's, it's incredible. Yes. You know, I, did, I did a show, I did a show. So I, I'm producing. So that's my impression show was the one show I was telling you about. So after I, I produced that one, so we started touring it, but I produced it at the improv, right? So I met with the improv. I said, Hey, I have this show, this impression show. I, you know, anyway, long story short, I produced a meeting and I, I did all the marketing and advertising and flyers and booked it and all that stuff. So, so I produced that impression show. So Daryl Hammond and I are out to lunch and I said, well, because I did the impression show, I'm going to talk to the improv about doing my regular show, just stand up. And, and, and there's two rooms, there's a big room and a small room. And I said, yeah, maybe she'll give me the small room. Daryl Hammond says to me, the small room. It's called the lab. You went lab. What are you talking about, dude? You're producing in the main room. Yes, go for you know, it. Go for the big room, bro. He's like, why are you gonna go? He's like, yes. He's like, come on, dude. And he's like, yes. you know what? No, he goes. He goes. Why don't you produce an SNL alumni show? Oh, and nice. Like, really? And he's like, yeah. He goes, let's get let's get all SNL alumni guys, and we'll do an SNL alumni show. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. So I go I go meet with the improv, and I said, hey, I want to do an SNL alumni show. Now the improv is one of the, the probably the one of the two most famous clubs in the in the in the in the country. It's the improv and the comedy store, and it's a huge deal. And, and so the the booker's like, "Yes, let's do it." She goes, "I've been talking about doing an SNL alumni show forever. I was just going to do it myself, but you can do it." So I produced. I did my first show 
And it was, I got Chris Catan, Jay Farrell, who's brilliant, Daryl Hammond and Jay Moore sold out, huge success. And, and I was the producer and the host. So I, I host, I do 10 minutes and then these guys all performed and it was incredible. Right. So then I tried to do another one. I couldn't get enough SNL people. So I had to flip into the impressions. And then I thought my career was over. No more SNL legends. She was called SNL legends. So it's all over. And I, you know, you know, all that negative thinking. And then, uh, Jay, my friend, Jay Moore, I was trying to get these guys there, uh, uh, um, David Spade and Dana Carvey. They're huge. Right. And, and they both do stand up and they would, I met, I talked to them both at the club and they're like, Oh yeah, call me and my assistant. They both turned me down. So Jay ends up going on their podcast and he sends me a text about two, three weeks ago. And he's like, Hey, I just did Dana Carvey's and Spade's uh, podcast. They're in on the show. That's amazing. I'm like, what? I'm like, Oh my God. And he's like, yeah, David. And he goes, he goes, get some dates. Right. So I, I, I get some dates. I send it to, I send it to Jay Moore. 15 minutes later, he texts me back, spades in for October 30th. That's awesome. I'm so happy for you. And I, I love, I mean, again, amazing, incredible stories. Yeah. And I but just, you know what? It could fail. <laughs> Who knows? But, but you know what? There's really no failure. We learn, you know? And yeah, but the point is, like, it's like, I, no I got all this because of sobriety or because I'm living a spiritual life, you know? Amen. Amen. And, it's, and uh, again, so I'm going to ask you a question before we wrap up. I, and how, I, how do I want to word it? Did you ever imagine you'd be where you are today? You know, I didn't, I always thought I'd be an actor. You know, I always, I always had, since I was young, I always thought I'd be an actor. My first dream was to become a fresh professional baseball player. Then was an actor, and I'm I'm actually going to do a role. Uh, I don't know if you know Matt Pinfield. I don't. Matt Pinfield was a DJ on MTV and really famous DJ. He's, his name's on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's a good friend of mine. But his daughter, I'm going to play uh, a character based on Matt Pinfield. It's like a 20 minute short, and mm -hmm. I'm going to play that, which is really cool. So that's coming up. And then, but I never even thought I'd be a stand up. And then now all of a sudden I'm doing stand up and, and producing and, SNL legends. I mean, yeah, I'm producing SNL legends. It's like it's crazy. It's like so cool. But it's, you know, let me say also, it's very uncomfortable. There, I have so much, there's so much anxiety and pressure. And is it going to fail? It's not going to happen. There's, I put so much pressure on myself. But, you know, I got to remember, it's just a stand-up show. It's just a comedy show. But I, I produced that SNL legend show. And here's one of the coolest things that's happened in my stand-up career. Is this girl came out to me. I was at a recovery meeting. She came to the show, the SNL legend show. And the next day she came up to me and she goes, Greg, uh, she goes, I just, I have to tell you this. She goes, I went through something that was devastating. And she goes, I was so crushed. I, she goes, I did not smile for three months. Mm. It was the most devastating thing I've ever gone through in my life. And she goes, I went to your show. She goes, I laughed for the first time. And she goes, I, she goes, I laughed so hard. My stomach hurt. And she goes, Greg, she goes, she goes, thank you so much. You know, she goes, I, my stomach still, she goes, I, my stomach is still hurting from laughing so hard last night. And thank you. And I was like, oh my God, like I can make a difference. I can bring laughter and joy and be a part of, you know, bringing happiness and joy to people that are going through difficult times. And that was like the coolest thing in the world. So if I just remember that and I live in that and I remember it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about what I can do for other people. 
I love it. And you're so inspired. I'm telling I think about you all the time. And I love these risks that you're taking. And I rather take a risk and fail than yeah. not take that risk at all. And I rather have these big, ridiculous dreams where people make fun of me because yeah. then, you know, if I don't get here, maybe I'll get here. And so you inspire me to just keep pushing, you know, each day I remember your story. So I know you're busy and you spent so much time with us and just great nuggets of wisdom. If there's one last thing you can leave our audience with, what would that be? Just to help somebody. I think that's beautiful. Yes. Be of service community. Thank you all of you for joining us today on this really incredible episode of Real Talk, where I appreciate Greg getting real and vulnerable with us. I love you and I appreciate you. And for those of you that are watching, Greg, do you want to kind of let us should, well, actually I could probably put your tour dates in the, in the chat. So So if you can follow me at, at real Greg Baldwin, at real Greg Baldwin, and I'll be touring, I'm going to Colorado, November 11th. I'll be in Michigan. December 1st. I got a ton of shows in LA and I'll be in Bakersfield on Saturday. I, 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 Bakersfield. I that reminds me of Johnny Cash for some reason. <laughs> and uh, you know, if you can follow, you can uh, just, just send me a message at real Greg Baldwin. You'll see me or follow me on Instagram and you'll see all my shows. And it's been such a pleasure. I love you, Grace. I'm so I happy. And I'm going to put, we'll definitely put all of your information there for people to find you and come out to see you wherever they might be um, across the country. I, appreciate you and thank you everyone for watching so definitely share if you enjoyed this episode because you never know who might need to hear the nuggets of wisdom and that also allows us to continue to bring great guests on our show thank you so much i appreciate you all have a great evening till next time all god bless Bye. god bless thank you guys love. Thank you so much for listening today. I am so grateful for you. I'd like to show you my appreciation by gifting you a free forgiveness self-hypnosis audio download. Part of living the fun and fabulous life is practicing forgiveness. Forgiveness can be such a long and challenging process. My intention is that this forgiveness audio will help you in practicing forgiveness, especially with yourself. Grab it by visiting daretoachieve.com backslash forgiveness. For more inspiring tips, make sure to connect with me on social media. Drop me a line on Facebook or Instagram at Grace Redmond Dare to Achieve. Until next time, keep moving forward towards living your fabulous life.